Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 119 and jumps around in several different places. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. The word of the Lord. Lord, please make our hearts fertile soil in which the words that you give to Addison today will find root, making us become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, it is good to be with you, good to worship together, and to get back into the Word together as we do every Lord's Day. And as you can tell from our, our psalm this morning, we're, we're going through Psalm 119, uh, though fashioned around Psalm 19. They're, they're very uh, similar in terms of how they're laid out. Today's theme, uh, its topic, if you will, is joy. We certainly see that throughout this psalm. That's just a, a handful of, of verses for there, there for you to digest around this theme, but we certainly see the idea that the Word of God gives us joy. I mean, that's Psalm 19, verse 9, for the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. There's been a TV show that's sort of uh, been near and dear to Lynette and I's heart just over this last year. Um, it's not recommended for all people, but it's called Ted Lasso. And some of you may know this show, some of you may not, and that's okay. But it is a show created by Jason Sudeikis, which is also a thumbs up in my book because he's from Kansas City. So uh, that always is good. But he, um, it's just, it's funny. It's lighthearted at times. It, it is a story while about soccer, which is also another thumbs up for me. He's an American coach of football and comes over to coach soccer in the UK. He knows nothing about what he's talking about. He says it has four quarters. He has no idea that they can tie at the end of it because that's just not something they do in sports here. And yet there's so much trauma, so much uh, angst in his life, in the players' lives, in the people around him 
It is such a show that marks our time because there's so much uneasiness in it. There's so much weariness of the day. There seems to be this lack of joy and rejoicing. There's just this heaviness that we find in our own lives that you see in the people of the show. I mean, we can really relate with the characters of the show, yet he is happy, he is joyful, he is witty. People rally around him in a way that I think we're all attracted to. I mean, there's a reason why it's become sort of this cult show over the last year. It's because it just has a story of redemption. It's a story of there is something good out there amidst all of the weariness, amidst all of the sorrow, the pain, the dark feelings and emotions. Something good can exist. See, friends, we live in a world that is just heavy. Even before the pandemic, it's a heavy world. Even after the pandemic passes us, we live in a heavy age. There's much sorrow. There's lots of dark emotions, anxiety and depression, isolation. These things are on the rise. But what we find in God's word is a reason to be joyous. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When we read Psalm 119, if you were to read it from verse 1 all the way to the final verse, you would find so many examples of why the psalmist finds joy in his life. And this is not just true just for this psalm and other psalms. This is true throughout the scriptures as we will see today. In the direct pursuit of Jesus, we can have joyous lives. We have to pursue Christ. We have to pursue the word made flesh. And I promise you, you will find joy, unbridled joy, joy that will get you through these dark times, through the sorrow, the isolation, the pain, the anxiety, the things that you and I feel. There is a joy that cuts beneath that. And so we're going to focus on that joy. What is it? Where does it come from? And, and how is it applied? Or how is it lived out? How is it embodied today? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, precept is another way of talking about the word, talking about scripture and, and the things that we find. It's one of those many words that we talked about that you find throughout some, one, some Psalm 119 that points to God's word. It simply means, it's like a charge, or it's like a, a way of being obedient. Where I'm calling you to do this thing, to follow me in this way. It's an appointed uh, charge. So the appointed charges, the things that God gives us, the, the ways in which he wants us to live and embody what it means to be his people, those things are right. And the result is joy. The result is joy. But what kind of joy? Not just any kind of joy, but a true joy. A joy that is the gladness of the heart. See, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there, there are a myriad of ways that you get these words joy. There's really, there's 17, I think, root words that point out this idea of joy. And they're translated in even more myriad of words. Here, here are some of them that you'll find throughout both the Old Testament and New Testament. Gladness, merriment, happy. Uh, there's laughter, wonder, exuberance, 
exulting, praise, worship, shouting, singing, delight, blessed, and of course, joy. Isaiah 35 will be the first thing that we look at. It gives us a great account of what this might look like. Verse 10, if you have your Bibles. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You notice the, some of the things that accompany joy here in Isaiah. There's community, right? So it's the ransomed. It's all of the folks of the Lord. All y'all will return to Zion. There's a purpose. There's direction, returning to Zion, to the place where we will sing and, and have everlasting joy. We'll obtain gladness. There's really this reaching a state of gladness and joy that will last forever. But notice also what is not accompanying joy. Sorrow and sign shall flee away. Joy and sorrow are opposites. When you have true joy, the sorrows of this world, while they weigh on you, they don't impact you in the same way they might if you did not find this gladness of heart that Isaiah and the scriptures are talking about. Of course, there are things that weigh on us, as we have already pointed out. But joy, unbridled joy, joy in the Lord, joy in his word, as Isaiah says, does not accompany sorrow. Let's look at it from another perspective in the New Testament, Galatians 5. These are verses that are very familiar with us, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. So yes, it is a part of the whole fruit. It's not its own fruit that we seek joy without gentleness, without kindness, without self-control, but it comes as a whole package. Joy comes as a part of the fruit that we receive from the Spirit as sons and daughters in Christ. But I think that it's telling that Paul puts joy second. So while it's true that it is all one fruit, I do think there is a progression here that Paul wants his readers and his listeners to pay attention to. Love, joy. It's hard to have joy, true joy, gladness of heart, where sorrow is not found without having love. Certainly we have experienced this. Most of us have experienced this in our lives. Think of a loving relationship that you have, a good relationship. And just remember that feeling that you have when you receive that love from somebody. It brings you joy. It makes you feel good. You get the feels. Some butterflies, maybe your hair stands up on your arm. Perhaps you have these wonderful thoughts in your head about that person. Without love, I'm not sure there's much joy. I think it's important that joy comes second. Again, it's a whole fruit, so we grow in it together but we feel joyous when there's love there. And of course, we are so loved by our Father in heaven. And that is where our joy comes from. And we will talk about that in our second point, 
It's a gladness of heart, this joy that is listed here in Galatians. It's one in which comes from the love of the Father. Here is the way that one author puts it. Anyone who lives a life full of joy or full of love will be joyful. Conversely, without love, there can be no true joy. Private, independent joy is an illusion. Joy exists in, never out of, loving relationships. And this is a theme that you see in all of Paul's letters. Think about the times that he talks about the joy that he has in his brothers and sisters serving in different places in Corinth. He writes many a times and says, it's the joy, the love that I have for you that keeps me going. Philemon is another great example, talking about the, the love and the joy that he has for the people there and for the slave that he's sending back to them and that they might be united as one. It's this love that brings about joy in Paul's life, in the followers of Jesus' life, in the Israelites' life as they follow Yahweh, and conversely in our life. As we seek to be joyous people, as we seek to have a joy that's on our hearts, we have to remember our relationship with the Father in heaven, the one with whom loves us so much that he counted it as nothing to send his only son for you and I. That is where joy comes from. And true joy is a gladness of heart, something that goes beyond just sort of our surface level happiness. But joy is also right affections. It's right affections. Just look at verse 32 in our psalm. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge your heart. It's having affections for the things of the Lord. I actually think that the ESV uh, gets that translation of the, uh, the conjunction there, when, wrong. I think it should say, I will run in the way of your commandments for you enlarge my heart. Because you enlarge my heart, I will run in the ways of your commandments. I will follow the things that you have for me. Because you have enlarged my heart, Lord. It's you that I'm seeking, that I'm finding. It's you that I follow. Thus, joy comes when we run in those ways. When we pursue God's commandments, he will enlarge our hearts. He has enlarged our hearts when we run after his commandments. Our affections are in God because we go to his commandments to find that joy. They come from the word. And so we surround ourselves with stuff that stirs our affections for the Lord. I love there's a pastor who talks about this often. He talks about how he only uh, surrounds himself, his life, with things that stir his affections. Movies, songs, relationships, the places that he goes, the people that he sees, the food that he eats. Everything in his life, he surrounds himself so that it stirs his affections for the Lord. Why? Not because it just makes him feel good. Not because it's just the right thing to do, because it makes him a good person. But because when his affections are stirred for the Lord, he is reminded of that relationship that he has with God, that he is a beloved child of the Father in heaven. I mean, this is what Jeremiah 15, the, the verse at the very beginning uh, of our worship service today points out for us. 
your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For, because, I am called by your name. O Lord God of hosts, I am called by your name. I delight in your word because when I read it, when I uh, delve into the depths of what it says, I am realizing that I have this deep, profound relationship with the Lord. I'm called a son or a daughter. And so I have joy. This is true joy. A gladness of heart, affections that are stirred for the Lord because of our relationship with him. And again, that's why we're looking at Psalm 119. The word of God gives us the Lord of the word. The word of the Lord gives us the Lord of the word. We get God when we read his word. And in that we find a beautiful, loving, caring relationship with the Father. The one who created all things. And who is in all things, Jesus, and holds all things together. We have that as an invitation to us. This is where true, this is true joy. A gladness of heart. It's so different than, I think, this simple happiness. This sort of surface level happiness. As if I, you know, all of us have experienced these things. When you walk down uh, a sidewalk, you find, uh, when you're little, a quarter. And you're like, Wow. A quarter, I can buy bubble gum? Can you still do that? Something? <laughs> or you find a dollar, and you think, wow, this is amazing. Or I remember one time when I was studying in London, London and I was a college student, so I didn't have a lot of money, and I was walking down the sidewalk, and I found a 50-pound bill. And it was at that time, the dollar-to-pound ratio was 2 to 1. I had just found $100. I was really happy. But that's fleeting. As soon as that 50 pounds goes away, where does my happiness go? In the next 50 pounds that I find? What about in the things that we acquire for ourselves? We often look to that next thing as the source of our happiness. I can't wait until I get this fill in the blank. And then we get it, and we just wait for the next thing to fill that happiness. I am just as prone to this belief as the next person. It's a great idol of my heart that things will bring me joy and happiness, and they never do. Never do. Friends, if we learn anything today, it's that our joy is in the Lord. True joy, a gladness of heart. This sense that go, something goes beyond just a temporary, fleeting, good feeling. Something that will last. Because the Christian life is hard. It is difficulty. It is fraught with sorrow and sadness, with grieving, with pain, with lament. But a true joy we have in the Lord. And that's where our joy comes from, which is our second point. Where do we get this joy from? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is from the Lord and from the Word of God. And we can just move on to the last point. Now we don't need to delve in. No, I'm just kidding. So there's a lot to talk about. Where does our joy come from? Uh, Ecclesiastes is a fantastic book. It's confounding. I mean, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around it sometimes, some of the things that are said there by the pastor. But I love 
these verses, they really sum up this feeling uh, of fleetingness of things. So chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his spoil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. It's a little bit confusing just the way that it starts out and then the way that it ends. So let's start in the middle. This is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? It's to accept his lot and rejoice in his spoil. And why is that a gift? Because he, the person living, will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Did you catch that? When you accept your lot and rejoice in this toil, which is a gift from God, you will have joy. You will have a gladness of heart, a joy in his heart, and it will occupy you all your days. So what I was just saying, that things, people, relationships, status, all those sorts of things are where we look for joy. The scriptures are clear, and this is not the only place. Joy comes from God. It's a gift from God. And it's because of our lots, it's because of our placement in the story, our placement as sons and daughters, as ones that he has created and made. We rejoice in that. That is our gift. That is where our joy comes from. It comes from God. It's our status in Christ with God. And oftentimes, our joy is sucked out of us because of covetousness, because of the very things that the pastor in Ecclesiastes is trying to figure out, which he ends up saying that none of it is really worth anything. And what's worth its weight in gold is our relationship with God. But when we covet, we lose that. When we think that our joy comes from other things, we lose that ability to see. Here is how one pastor put, or one author puts it. To covet is to crave what one does not, often cannot have. By contrast, Paul states, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. The poor think that if they only had more money, they could be happy. But the rich think this too. As Ecclesiastes puts it, whoever loves money never has money enough. It's not in our stuff. It's not in our relationships. Our joy does not come from those things. As the pastor in Ecclesiastes puts it, and as our psalmist puts it, it comes from the Lord. You see, the story leads us to see time and time and time again that the source of joy is in God. Look at the way our psalmist puts it in Psalm 119, verse 14. It was in your bulletin. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. All riches. Not some riches, not a few, not the next riches, but all riches. In the way of your testimonies, in the way of the things that you have proclaimed to be true about us in this world, I delight as much as all the riches. Life in God produces joy. 
And this is true of all creation. Creation seems to get this more than you and I get it. If you read the scriptures, there are so many beautiful parts of the scriptures that point out the joy that the creation has. So I'm going to just read a quote from an author who wrote about this. The Hebrew poetry represents the whole of creation as already caught up in the dance of joy and the wonder of its creator. The earth is full of praising and rejoicing. When the world was first made, we are told that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy in Job. The mountains and the hills continue to burst forth with joy. The water in the brook is bubbling with laughter. The trees of the forest are clapping their hands. It is all a marvelous invitation for us as God's people to join the created world in this procession of gladness and praise. Creation gets it. The story of the scriptures show us that all creation gets that joy is found in the Lord. We have joy in God and we receive this joy from God. That's the second thing in this point I want you to understand. So we have joy in God and we have joy from God because God delights in his people. He delights in his created people. Paul in Philippians 1 says that joy comes from faith. When we believe and trust we put all of our affections and our allegiance in God. That's where we receive joy because that's when we realize that we're receiving this love, this joy, this, uh, this togetherness, this relationship from God in heaven. God delights in us. Isaiah 62, for as a young man marries a young woman. So this is a picture of the wedding feast. As a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. So the people of God marrying the Lord, coming together in a relationship. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The Lord rejoices over us. He has joy for his created people. So we have joy from God. And this is profound because it changes the way we can approach our day. When we know that the one who's created all things and holds all things together has joy in us, we don't have to doubt the many difficulties that we experience. But we can have joy. We can, like the psalmist in Psalm 118, say, I, for today is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. With Psalm 119 uh, our verses 89 through 93. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointments, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. The word gives us life. Because God delights in us. So the source matters. The source of joy matters more than anything. Where it comes from, it comes from God. Because God delights in his people. He delights in you as his son or daughter in Christ. And so our true source of joy is God. 
just to discipline ourselves to remember that as we go through our days. The final point is, how is this applied? And I think this is one of those big questions. How do we embody joy? Some of us are more dispositioned to embody joy than others. And you probably know folks like this in your life. They just seem to have joy no matter what the circumstances are. They could break a leg and they're happy. They could have hit financial ruin and yet they still seem to be joyous. The worst things in their life could happen, yet they still seem to have joy. So how do we apply this joy, embody it? I really think that that is the best word. True joy from the source is lived out. I want to recognize that this is difficult for some people, right? I mean, not everyone is dispositioned to joy. Not everyone uh, can find joy readily accessible in their life because they go through different pains and struggles and sorrows. Uh, Next week in our series, we are going to look at the comfort that comes in affliction that we find through Psalm 119. In one sense, these things go hand in hand, and joy sort of props us up for being able to look at that. But we have to strive to embody it. I didn't read this in a commentary, but I think over pondering Psalm 119 and thinking through the words that are on that page, I really do think that the psalmist is giving us a recipe for how to do this because it might have been a struggle for them. And you read about all the different things that they're encountering, being snubbed by people who used to walk with the Lord, by uh, dealing with kings and rulers who want to have them put down and, and pushed aside, by struggling with uh, the possessions or the places that they find themselves. There's lots of questioning and crying out that comes, not only in this psalm, but lots of psalms. We have the psalm of laments, uh, just to begin. So I really think that a part of this psalm is giving us what we need to embody joy. And if you just go through and, and look at a lot of the different verses that are there, you know, verse 97 Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Okay, so I want that joy. I'll meditate on it all the day. Verses 100 and 101. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I'm making good choices. I'm I'm striving after the things that you lay out in your law so that I might find joy. Some of these next ones are my favorites, 145 and 46. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. There's this audible cry. 171 is another. My lips will pour forth praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. It's just this audible crying out, this embodying of the word of God. And of course, all of this is intentional. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. I think the psalmist wants us to see 
we have to be intentional. We have to cry out. We have to embody. We need to meditate on the word. We need to press into what it means to follow Jesus. There are so many more of these throughout this psalm. It's an embodying of the word of God, our relationship with God. And we find joy. It presses through the heartache and the sorrow. It gives us something more than this surface level. I have a friend in ministry. He's really like a mentor more than a friend. He's both. He is a big part of why I have come to know the Lord. He's at a church in a small town in Missouri. And for the last nine years, he has struggled with intense chronic pain. And it comes randomly. Uh, it could just be in a conversation that he's having, he gets this intense pain, and he doesn't know how long it will last or what he will do with it. This has been going on for nine years. He's a pastor, and so this happens when he preaches. This happens when he's in counseling. This happens when he's at the gym, when he's at home. It happens just kind of randomly. And still, to, to this day, no doctor knows why he gets the pain. And they've identified what it is, but they don't know why he gets it. And about four years ago, he made a decision to just embrace it and to press into this embodied love and relationship with the Lord. That every morning he wakes up and he recites that verse that we already said, Psalm 118. Today is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. He says that every day when he wakes up on his knees, offering it as a sacrifice to the Lord. You've made this day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad despite the pain, the physical crumpling pain that I get. When the pain comes, he reminds himself of the promises of God by crying out audibly, by falling on his knees, by inviting people that he's meeting with, this can be awkward, to join him in prayer in that moment. He embodies his relationship with the Lord that he might find the joy that is promised to him in the scripture. This is such a beautiful picture of what you and I are called to as we walk in this world. Embody joy. And how can we do that? How can we embody it? How can we do this? It's not just, you know, trumping ourselves up and feeling good and pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. It's remembering that it's been done for us. Christ, our King, our Savior, the joy set before him, endured, died, and rose for you and me that we might have this relationship with God, that we might find this joy for the joy set before us in a relationship with God can only do this through the power and the invitation of a relationship with Jesus. So outside of that, it's just happiness. It's finding 50 pounds on the ground. It's making the best of a sticky situation like in Ted Lasso. See, the thing that they miss, while we can certainly uh, relate with the characters, is that true joy, joy that's going to go beyond our circumstances, that comes from not just uh, finding money or a good situation. True joy 
comes from a relationship with Jesus. That is what the psalmist wants us to see. That's the story of Scripture. So if you want joy in your life, pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus with everything that you have. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word and its reminder to us that true joy is found in Jesus. True joy, joy that goes beyond circumstance, that goes beyond the way we feel, that goes beyond today, tomorrow, goes beyond our situations with our relationships. It's in Christ. Help us to see that, to grab onto that with everything that we have, to fall on our knees and to cry out, Lord, forgive me, have me. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you that you have pursued me, that I might pursue you. Spirit, work in our hearts as we long to walk in these ways. Help us like the psalmist to embody this relationship and to cry out, save us, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.